Those of you who have young children know what it is a challenge it is sometimes to go shopping at a store, especially a store that might have toys, right, and toy aisles. You know, if you're like us, when we had a, a small child, we try to avoid those aisles if we weren't going for that purpose. What ends up happening? I want, I want right? They want everything. Mom, can you buy me this? Dad, can you buy me this? I need this. I can't live without this. Sometimes they may throw a little tra- tantrum there in the middle uh, of the aisle because they just so want this. Uh, I remember when we'd shop with Arielle, especially Betsa would tell her before we went in, okay, you can get one thing and only one thing, and it has to be in this price range, right, uh, to try to prevent that, you know, her, her glee in wanting everything that her eyes would see. But I want you to think about this particular question for yourself. If you could only have one thing, if you could only get one thing for yourself, what would you most want? What would you get? What is it in life that you must have in order to feel happy, satisfied, complete, fulfilled? What is it that occupies your waking hours? What is it that you go to sleep dreaming about? What is it that's on the first, first of your mind the moment that you wake up and, and throughout the day you spend your time planning how to get this thing? What is it? Because we all have things that we want, things that we desire, things that we feel we must have. What is that? Something that we've been looking at and studying in Proverbs here is particular to these first nine chapters, which contain letters, less, lessons or lectures, if you will, from a father to the son. We see there that Solomon, who's writing this, is exhorting his son uh, throughout all that he's teaching him that he must desire, look for, and possess one particular thing above all else. Something he must seek after. Something that with everything in him, with all of his power, he has to have. And that is wisdom. He's got to get wisdom above all else. He tells him that wisdom is worth far more than anything else that he would pursue in this life. And wisdom is a treasure that far exceeds all of the riches of this world. Now ultimately, all of the wisdom that Proverbs points out to us and teaches us, is pointing us to the supreme treasure, true wisdom, which is Jesus Christ. Scripture declares that he in him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And today we're going to be in the fourth lesson, or we're going to look at a portion of it today, from the father to the son, and we're going to see that wisdom rewards those who seek her, who find her, who hold on to her, and treasure her above all else. Now, this fourth lesson goes from verse 13 through 35 of chapter 3. We're only going to look at it through verse 20. So we're going to break this up into two parts. Uh, Some of you are saying, thank God we're doing that, you know, or we will be here all day. But uh, uh, I pray that it is going to minister to your heart and to your life today. So let's turn to God's word, the the third chapter of Proverbs, verses 13 through 20. Hear the words of the living God. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. 
She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. These are the words of the Lord. Now this second part of chapter 3 is in reality four poems. Four like many lectures or many poems, and at some point they were edited together to form this fourth lesson of Solomon from uh, to his son. And so what we're going to see in the first three poems, they're going to serve to motivate the son in regard to how to get wisdom and how wisdom will reward him if he seeks her and holds on to her. And then the fourth poem contains the actual lesson itself. Uh, we're going to see there kind of the application of what he's teaching him regarding how wisdom rewards him and how it plays out in how to be a good neighbor and how to avoid the judgment of God. So we're going to look at the first two poems today, and next week we will look at the last two poems of this section. The first poem is found there in verses 13 through 18 telling us about the great value of wisdom. Now, as we looked at before, wisdom is personified as a woman. And and Solomon does this as a teaching tool. He's trying to make wisdom attractive, beautiful, stunning, gorgeous, smart, intelligent, right? This is the kind of woman you want, my son. Wisdom is like that. So find her, get her, you have to have her, right? So he's making them attractive. Why? So that that his son will heed the exhortations, that, that he'll listen to his teachings and not only listen to them, but put them into practice, obey his commands so that in pursuing wisdom, he will find life and peace and all of the things that wisdom grants us. Now, there's a word that you'll see in verse 13 at the end, and at the end of 18, the word that bookends this particular poem. Notice it starts and ends with what word? Blessed. Now, some of your translations might say happy, right? Blessed, right? And and it means happy and it means content and and having divine favor. Now, when you see something like this, especially in wisdom literature, that's a song or a poem, and you have words that bracket or bookend a section, that's called an inclusio, an inclusio. And what that does is that you'll find these two words and everything that is sandwiched between those particular two words right, are defined by those two words themselves. Everything in between those two words supports those words. Everything between those two words expands on the concept of those words. And that's what you find in this particular section. Notice verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And then the second part of 18, those who hold their fast are called blessed, right? What's the point that Solomon's trying to make here? The point he's making is that the one who is characterized by this state of being blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who holds fast to wisdom, holds on to her. Everything between those two thoughts is going to support that particular point. Now, sometimes when we read the word blessed here, immediately our mind begins to think about blessings, right? The blessings of God and how God blesses us in different ways of life. And blessings are something that God bestows upon us. 
Or he bestows upon someone else. Those could be spiritual blessings. Those could be physical, material blessings. But they're given to individuals or they're individual things granted to someone. Now, we can see an example of this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to enumerate all of those particular blessings, right? He's talking about the blessings of God, the spiritual benefits or blessings we've received as a result of being in Christ Jesus. But being blessed is not the same thing as receiving a blessing. The word blessed, as I've said already, means happy, content, or or highly favored. But it's not a thing, it's actually a state. It's a state of being. It's describing the condition that someone finds themselves in. It is defining their present reality or experience, their state of being blessed. So that blessing is is someone who's characterized by those things that blessings uh, refers to. Happiness, contentment, or divine favor. Bruce Walke, in his commentary on Proverbs, describes the word blessed as people who experience life optimally as the Creator has intended. People who experience life optimally as the Creator intended. And so I'm going to summarize a definition of blessed, taking that a little bit. And simplifying it for us. That someone who is blessed is experiencing the good life as God intended. Experiencing the good life as God intended. Now we find this word blessed in the New Testament. Specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? The Beatitudes open up with Jesus teaching his disciples. And immediately he goes into talking about Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And, and with that, there's an attachment of some reward or some reality of their condition, of their state of being blessed. And what he's referring to those who are blessed in that state of being is that they are a, a model to be envied, a model to be uh, imitated because they are the ones who receive these particular rewards as a result of their state of blessedness. We looked at blessings and blessedness in our study through Revelation. The seven beatitudes that are found throughout the book that all begin with that word, blessed. One is right at the beginning of Revelation, the third verse of chapter one. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Those who not only read Right? The, the words of this prophecy, who hear it and who keep it. Well, keep means that they do, right? They guard it and they're doing it. They are in a state that is considered blessed. The picture being drawn for us in this poem then is that the one who finds themselves in this state of being blessed, who's experiencing the good life as God intended, is the one who has found wisdom, is the one who has has received and gotten understanding and is holding on to her. We've defined wisdom in the past here as the skill of living rightly. Wisdom is a skill. That's what we do in life with wisdom, right? It teaches us how to live rightly, how to operate rightly in God's world. And the Father is teaching the Son here this skill of living rightly through all of His teachings, right? Right? And, and, and the one who gets wisdom, though, is not someone who's acquired it 
because they're a good student of the world. They haven't acquired it because they, they just were born smart. They got, the, they got the good genes, right? The smart genes. Some of us got the dumb genes. But, but that's not the one who has wisdom. The one who has wisdom is the one who is in right relationship with the Lord. Right relationship with God. Because the source of wisdom is not something on the human plane. The source of wisdom is God himself who is all wisdom. And that person who knows the Lord, who has the fear of the Lord gets wisdom and is blessed. So let's find out here, how, how does wisdom and the one who holds on to her, how is that person considered blessed? Why? Well, the first reason is because of wisdom's value. Because he goes on to say here that wisdom's gain, her profits, far exceed that of gold and silver and precious jewels, right? These are commodities that like everyone, right? Every single one of us in the world would want to possess in very large quantities. Who wouldn't want a lot of gold and silver and precious jewels? Yes? It's okay to say yes. We know you want it. I know you want it, right? Wisdom, though, he says, is, is far better than all of those things. It's better than having a fat bank account. It's better than having all of the material stuff that your heart might desire. Wisdom's gain, her profit, her value far exceeds all of those things. Think about it. In this time of of economic challenge, right, where we have extraordinary inflation, horrific fiscal policy, uh, have you noticed how quickly monetary wealth has eroded? Past week, I was, I don't even know why I did it, but I looked at one of my investment accounts and it's down a third this year. Like all that value just, it's gone. It's vanished. It's, it's, it's wiped away. And here's one of the reasons why wisdom is far greater than any material wealth we would seek to amass. Because when you have wisdom, unlike material things, unlike money, when you have it, you can't lose it. It can't be taken from you. That's why we find in Matthew chapter 6, what is Jesus' exhortation to his disciples? To store up treasure where? In heaven. Why? Because moth and rust can't get to it like can get to your stuff here on earth. Here on earth, moth and rust and thieves can break in and steal it. And what you thought you had and what you went after and what you put all your effort into possess could be gone in a moment. Just like that, it would vanish. But the one who has wisdom... Has all the wealth in the world, more than those things, and it can never be taken from you, and it can't be stolen. As we looked at last week, though, uh, God does want to bless us at times with material things, and that's a good thing. But without wisdom, we cannot be formed, we cannot be shaped into the kind of people who will properly enjoy these things in the right context. We will begin to seek after material wealth and seek after stuff thinking that that's what will fill our lives with happiness, contentment, and favor. And don't you know it? Some of the richest people in the world, sadly, are the most miserable people in the world. Because money, contrary to what they can't buy you, what Proverbs is talking about here. To paraphrase, uh, paraphrase uh, Bruce Walke and what he writes in, in his commentary there, in the difference between money Uh, And wisdom, he says, money can put food on the table, but it cannot put fellowship around it. Money can buy you a house, but it cannot buy you a home. 
Money can buy a woman just all sorts of precious jewels and the diamond necklace and earrings, but probably not the love and romance that she is seeking after. In contrast, wisdom can give you material blessings and relational blessings and spiritual blessings as well that do not vanish. But again, wisdom is not our default mode, is it? We aren't born with wisdom. We're not born with that instinct to trust in the Lord with all our heart, right? To acknowledge Him in our, our ways. No, what's our default mode? Lean on to our own understanding. Grab hold of whatever limited knowledge we have and try to put that into practice and use that and never turn to the Lord who is the fountain of all wisdom. Money and stuff can be acquired through human strength, through human ingenuity. Wisdom, however, which is infinitely more valuable, cannot be acquired that way. First of all, he tells his son here in this passage, it's the one who finds wisdom. Right, earlier on we read he's telling him to seek after wisdom, to go after with wisdom, to search for wisdom. It does require effort, but more importantly, we need to apprehend that to get wisdom, we have to realize it is a divine gift. Because wisdom doesn't come from our earthly dimension, right? It comes from another dimension where God is in the source of wisdom. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is wisdom incarnate. Do you desire Jesus above all else? Do you have, want a relationship with Jesus Christ more than that other thing is in your life that you try to go after with all of your might? If if I could get an honest answer out of you, and I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I want you to think about this particular question. In order for me to be truly happy... I need Jesus, but I also need fill in the blank. In order for me to truly be happy, I need Jesus, but I also need something. Relationship, a promotion, you know, happy marriage, bigger house, financial security, kids who behave. What is that? What is it that you might put in that blank itself. See, when you have wisdom, what we find here is that we can live in this state of blessedness that that Proverbs is telling us about here. When we have wisdom, then that next thing that we're looking for sometimes in addition to Jesus, no, when we have Jesus, we find that sometimes those things just seem to fall into place and work themselves out. Wisdom When we read Proverbs, we'll see that it it can give us a happy home. It can give us a loving marriage. It can enrich our relationships. It can give us a good life that cannot be valued by any of the earthly metrics of success and wealth. Wisdom can get us to the true riches that our hearts desire or after, but we're not pursuing those particular things. We're pursuing wisdom herself. The second reason the one who finds wisdom and holds on to wisdom is considered blessed is because wisdom pays off big. Look what it says there in this passage, right? After he talks about her gain and profit, right, being more precious, it says in 16, 
Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom rewards with long life and riches and honor. Think back, and we talked a, lot, a little bit about this in our first part of the series, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Right? When, when, when God appears to Solomon in a dream, and he asks Solomon, ask what you will, and I'll grant it to you. Recall that? Solomon could have asked for anything, couldn't he? I know what I probably would ask for and what you probably would ask for if you were king of a nation. Like he could have asked for what? Wealth, his throne to be established. He could have asked for his enemies to be obliterated. That he would have a vast empire, all the gold, all the silver, you know, everything. That he would have people that he could rule and rule over well and would do what he told them to do. But Solomon doesn't ask for that, does he? Solomon asks for wisdom because he recognizes that he's in a position to rule over the people of God and that he's going to need wisdom to rule justly and rightly and in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. And, And so he asks for wisdom and God grants him wisdom. He gives him wisdom, such wisdom that it exceeds all of the the sages of his time. Right? And so, so much so that people, when they heard the wisdom of Solomon, all they could say is, that has to come from God. Because there's no way a human being could have that kind of wisdom. They recognize where it came from. So God gives them what he asked for, but that's not all he gives them, is it? He gives them wisdom and riches. Vast wealth, like has never been seen. Honor. Kings from far off lands come to pay homage to, to, to Solomon. Conquers his enemies, utterly dis- defeats them and subjugates them. That's a glorious empire. It was the golden era of ancient Israel. God gives them wisdom and all of those things. Because that is what he asked for. How does wisdom reward with long life and riches and honor? Well... Wisdom, when you have it, helps you avoid the pitfalls that can cut your life short. We've all done dumb things in life, right? Risky things. You ever see those memes where it tells you, here's why men don't live long or how, how women live longer than men. And you have a, you know, you see a guy stacking up three ladders along electric wire or something like that. Or on a staircase where, I mean, it's just certain death, Right? You know, we, we can do some dumb things in life, right? But when you have wisdom, it can help you avoid the things that could cut your life short. Helps us avoid foolish things, doing foolish things. It helps us avoid making foolish decisions uh, that can shipwreck our life or damage our reputation. Wisdom gives us discernment to avoid, again, uh, foolish behavior. Uh, it helps us control our tongue, avoid sexual sin and temptation. Teaches us how to work hard and avoid being lazy. Wisdom keeps you from being stupid and doing stupid things, frankly, that can lead to an early death. Wisdom teaches us the qualities to look for in a spouse that will make for a happy marriage. Wisdom teaches us that hard work, spending wisely, saving for uh, lean times will lead us to wealth. Following the teachings of Proverbs will generally lead to the blessed life, the good life as God intended. That's why Solomon can say to his son, get that. Get that and avoid that, right? And her ways are pleasant. Her ways are peaceful. 
Who doesn't want their life to be characterized by that? Peace. Prosperity as the Lord defines it. Success. Pleasantness. Like, I want that for my life. We all, we all want those things. But the key isn't to desire the blessed life. The key is to desire and seek after wisdom because that is the aim of life. And when you get wisdom, those things generally fall in line in your life. Remember, I've said this before, Proverbs are not 100% promise guarantees, right? They generally hold true in this life, but they are ultimately true later, okay? Thirdly, the third reason one is considered blessed for having wisdom and it's climactic is, the, is actually the climactic part of this poem here. Because Solomon declares that wisdom is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. A tree of life. What does that bring to mind here? Right? There's a connection that Solomon is, is drawing here uh, in talking about a tree of life and the tree of life in the garden. That, that tree symbolic of life and immortality that God promised Adam and that Adam could continue to have contingent upon his obedience. Now, he didn't get life from the tree. God is the one who gave him life, breathed life into Adam. But continued life was contingent upon his obedience. And so much as he obeyed God, he had access to the tree and in so doing would have eternal life. We know that's not what happened, right? The story... Um, is dark, right? He dis- they disobey God. Uh, their sin plunges mankind into, in, into this state of death. They lose access to the tree. They lose access uh, to the garden, which, in the presence of God in his garden sanctuary. The world is plunged into a curse. And ever since then, what is mankind trying to do apart from God? Try to get back to this garden state through technology, through other means, right, to lessen the impact of the curse uh, of the fall, to improve life in some way, because there's this faint echo of the garden in the heart of humanity. Now, through Jesus, right, there is a restoration, right? We have eternal life in Him, and we know the promise for us at the end of the age, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth, what's going to be restored? Access to the tree of life, right? We studied that in Revelation, a beautiful promise in Revelation 22, in a heavenly vision that John, the apostle of the Lord, has. It says this in verse 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Isn't that beautiful? What mankind has lost will be fully restored in the new heavens and the new earth. It's what we long for. It's what we hope for. It's our promise. It's what we look to um, in Christ Jesus. But for now, but for now, what we see in Proverbs here concerning wisdom, it's, it's giving us a foretaste uh, of what that tree of life promises Now, it's not the tree of life, right? It's a tree of life, it says here. But it's interesting that the only reference to tree of life is found in only three books of the Bible. Genesis, Revelation, and Proverbs. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. So, what is this referring to here? Wisdom is giving us a preview, a a small glimpse of heaven. 
and, and eternity and what the true blessed kind of life that is going to be for the followers of the Lord. Why did Adam and Eve lose access to the tree of life? Why did they lose access to it? Yeah, they sinned. What did they do? They ate the fruit of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is that all about? Why was that so bad? Well, if you recall back to our origin series, when we talked about what they were doing, what that act represented was that Adam and Eve were trying to have knowledge and find knowledge of good and evil apart from God. The determination of what was right and wrong, they wanted to make that for themselves. A right that was only exclusive to God. Only He gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. What is morally good and what is morally evil. And to disobey God and eat of that fruit was to say, we know better than God. We want to make that determination for myself. I am going to say what's right and what's wrong. And isn't that the kind of knowledge we find in the world today? Everyone wants to determine what is right for themselves and what is wrong for themselves. No objective standard of truth. I get to determine what that truth is. And so when we come here to to Proverbs and what it's writing for us here, it's calling us to, to abandon that seeking after worldly knowledge, carnal knowledge that isn't even truth, and to cling to true knowledge and true wisdom, which can only be found in God. That can only be found from His Word and His revealed will for us in His Word. And that's why we need to get wisdom and hold on to her. Holding fast to the life-giving wisdom of Proverbs is what you and I must do until that day when we reach for the fruit of the tree of life in the garden paradise of God in the new heavens and new earth. Look at Revelation 2.7. That's the promise Jesus makes to those who overcome. 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's the promise, brothers and sisters. This is why we hold fast to wisdom, hold fast to God's word. It's why we have to humble ourselves and take hold of Jesus, who is true wisdom. And when we do that, when we have Jesus, we are blessed. We are blessed. That's the first poem. Let's look at the second, and it's only two verses. There are 19 and 20. A little bit shorter. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Why is that in there? What's going on? And we don't have time right now to go into the whole structure of this section, but it's, it's profoundly important. And this is so important that in chapter 8, you're going to see Solomon actually expand this aspect of what he's talking about here even more and showing how wisdom preceded the creation. But we see in this text, what does it say? The Lord by wisdom, the Lord by wisdom made everything. Everything you see with your physical eyes, everything in this world, everything in the entirety of the universe is made by God. By wisdom, he founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. The whole of the cosmos was created by the Lord by means of wisdom. Notice how it talks about wisdom, understanding, 
and knowledge, right? Like this, this holy trinity uh, here in wisdom literature that, that should qualify those who have, who have wisdom, who are growing in wisdom and the maturity that wisdom brings. They're used to describe God's creative act. The Lord possesses all of those in complete perfection and totality. Furthermore, He is wisdom and understanding and knowledge. The creative power of the Lord to think and speak something into existence is a work of His wisdom as much as it is a work of His power. Wisdom was employed in the creation of everything you and I can see or cannot see. Have you taken some time to think about the complexity of God's creation? The wonder and the marvel of everything that God has made. To marvel at His creative wisdom. Now we fancy ourselves so much more enlightened, right? And we think we understand a lot of things. But look at the, in the Psalms, right? How, how the writers there in the wisdom literature just are in awe of God's creation. Psalm 19.1 declares this, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's what it does. When you gaze upon anything in God's creation, when you look at the flowers of the field, the the trees, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, the rivers, when we look up to the sky and we look up to the heavens and we know it is vast beyond anything you and I can even begin to comprehend. I don't know how many of you last week uh, watched some of the first images that were released from the Webb Telescope Project. Any of you see those pictures? Absolutely remarkable, astounding, and breathtaking to see what that particular uh, engineering marvel is beginning to capture, to see things that nothing here on earth could ever be able to behold. I mean, there's images uh, of the planetary nebula, uh, Stephen's Quintet, that cluster of five galaxies that look like they're colliding, absolutely remarkable the Carina nebula i mean those images were so amazing man i i i downloaded one of the high resolution images and i was just expanding it and blowing up and i'm going this is unbelievable the human eye has never ever seen it with such clarity i can't wait to see what else it, it begins to put out but have you stopped to think of something for a moment there are things that you and i no human ever will ever be able to set eyes on that exist in the universe that God made just for his glory alone, for his own personal enjoyment, pleasure, and delight, and none of us will ever know that. So great is the creative power, imagination, and intellect, and wisdom of God to make these things for his glory. And here we are with our puny wisdom and intelligence thinking we can figure Everything out concerning our life. It's just amazing to, to just even begin to think about those things. But not only did God make everything by wisdom. It is also through wisdom that God sustains his creation. That's why he talks about when the deeps were broken open. Or the cloud that drops. Uh, the dew that drops from the clouds. That's what he's referring to. That the deeps breaking open harkens back to the past. To Genesis 1 and 2. In the creative activity there. And then 
now it's talking about the dew that comes from heaven or the dew that's on the ground, right? This is the present uh, hydrologic cycle that sustains life on our planet. This, this provision of God, of this life-giving water necessary for our survival and continued existence is intricately woven into the created order. And God does that by His wisdom. By His wisdom, He gives the earth everything that it needs to sustain itself and continue on and on and on until the day He renews all things. That is how immense the wisdom and knowledge of God is. Everything to bring the world into existence and everything needed to keep His creation going is brought about through God's wisdom. And I think this is the point that Solomon is trying to drive home through this particular short poem. Consider this. If the Lord employed wisdom as his tool in bringing about all of the marvelous things of creation, setting the earth on its foundation, dividing the primeval waters, establishing every system for for the sustaining of life on this planet, what can his revealed wisdom do in the lives of those who seek after it? If God brought the world into existence through wisdom, what would make us think that we could continue in our life without the wisdom of God? And if God could do all of these great and glorious things by wisdom, brothers and sisters, what can he do in the life of those who seek after him? What could he do? God is so much smarter and wiser than we are. Like, And we know that. We'll say that. Oh, yeah, God's all. And then we don't turn to God. (laughs) Oh, yeah, God knows all things. He's all wise. Woo, yeah, he is. And then I'm going to still try to figure it out on my own, lean on to my own understanding. Isaiah 55, 6 and 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So much higher. So much greater. Are you leaning on your own understanding? Or are you leaning on His? Are you trusting in Him? Look how Paul states it in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. That's our God. That's our God. We'll never exhaust the wisdom of God. This is why we continue to tell you, be in God's word. Why? Because you can read the same thing over and over again. And each time, there is another facet of the wisdom of God that is revealed to us by the Spirit of God in His word. And through His word. Right? What would make us think that we can do life without the wisdom of God? What would make us think that? All of the wisdom contained in Proverbs flows from the vast scope of the Lord's wisdom. Now, by observing creation, what do we see? We see that God made the world with an order, didn't he? Is the world disordered? I'm not talking about sin in the world or the chaos in the world, right? No, creation, there's order in creation. There's order in what God made. This is why it continues and why it will persist. By observing creation, we can see that God built order into his creation. 
that the world works in a particular way, in a specific way, according to his divine wisdom. When you get wisdom, God grants you an ability to rightly perceive and live according to the order that God made. When you do live by God's order, life generally will work out the way that God intended for it to work out. When you violate or go against God's order, things can be disastrous. They can lead to ruin. Now, we can observe this in our day-to-day life, just in the interactions you know, that we have with the things that we use. You have a vehicle, right? If you put the wrong kind of fuel in that vehicle, what's going to happen? Yeah, well, you could, yeah, it's not going to run. You probably likely damage the engine. Why? The vehicle was made with a particular order and design. You violate the order and design and how it's supposed to operate, it's not going to work. It's the same thing with other facets of God's creation. You ever put something in the microwave that you shouldn't put in the microwave? All of a sudden, pff, flames. I've done that a few times. I don't know why I haven't learned a lesson, right? There's an order. There's a design. It's supposed to work a, a certain way in a particular way. And when we violate those things, the, the, the normal order, the natural order, its design, it's not going to work right. It's not going to function as, it's, as it should be. It will not go well with you. I think about the core of the confusion of today with sex and gender and transgenderism and and all of the things, right, that are part of the culture wars of our day. They boil down to this, that people want to live apart from God's created order, apart from the design that God put into his creation, wired into his creation to function and to work a certain way. They want to determine what is right and wrong for themselves apart from God. They want to deny God's creative wisdom and order in this world. And then they'll expect that the disorder that they're leading in their life will lead to the blessed life. The good life as God intended it. Well, it's not going to work that way. There's order. There's a design that God, in his wisdom, fashioned for humanity. Brothers and sisters, when we violate that, it does not go well with us. We can't live outside of that and expect the blessed life, and the blessings of God and the favor of God. All of the injustices we witness, injustices, all of the the chaos in our world, the corruption at the highest levels of government, the wickedness that's celebrated, all of these are a violation of God's created order. So when we get to the individual Proverbs and we begin to like, you know, pick them apart and begin to study them, you need to see there that what Solomon is showing us is that things like this, if we, if we work hard right, and avoid laziness, that's going to lead not to poverty, but to to success and prosperity in life. Like hard work generally will lead to a blessing, laziness, right? That's why it says, look at the ant, right? Man, they're working hard. They're working hard. There's no downtime there. What are they doing? They're storing up. They're, They're, you know, all of these things. But how about the one who slumbers all day, Right? It's not going to go well for them, right? It's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to lead to ruin, right? Why? Because he's giving us a key to God's order that leads to this blessed state he's talking about. When he talks about dishonest scales or dishonest uh, systems of justice that lead to the destruction of society, he is telling us something about the order of God's creation. And living against the way God made the world will not bring success and ruin 
we're living in the flow of the way God made the world will put us on the path of life and peace. This is why we are implored here to get wisdom and live by God's order. Not outside of it, brothers and sisters. The wisdom that we need to live this way is not found in the world. That's not to say we can't learn things, right? Even in the darkened state humanity is, the common grace of God has given man the ability at least to perceive some things and observe things and and improve upon things in life. But it is not the wisdom here that God has in view. That only comes through a relationship with the Lord. That's why we say this passage points us to Jesus Who is the creator? Who is the sustainer of all things? Let me give you just three short passages here that you're all familiar with, but we need to be reminded of at times. John 1, 1 and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I mean, immediately it states for us, Jesus, the Word of God, the living Word of God, was in the beginning. Was the agent of creation here. Verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made. That was made. All things were made through him. Colossians 1. 15, 17. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him again all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can anything exist apart from Christ, according to this verse? Can anything function on its own apart from Jesus Christ? No. Has anything that you see with your eyes ever been made that has been made without Christ? No. Hebrews 1, 3, the first part. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word of his power. One word. And the universe, with all of its vastness, immensity, and complexity, continues going. And continues and continues and continues. Why am I not afraid of climate change? And the world ending in 12 years? Or whatever they're saying nowadays? Because we're not the ones who uphold the world by the word of our power. Or by the reduction of our carbon footprint. Or purchasing of carbon credits. Or whatever it is they've come up with today. And, and the world in its, in its earthly and and darkened wisdom attempts to come up with. It's that Christ sustains and upholds the world by the word of His power. This will not end until He says, the end. And the end will not be the obliteration of everything, but the renewal of all things, right? How glorious this is. The wisdom of God, the wise order of the universe exists because of the wisdom of its creator. And its creator is wisdom. It's it's Jesus. All things point to him. All things exist because of him. All things find their purpose in him. And all are upheld by him. So since the created order exists, it's all centered on Christ. You have to know him. 
You have to know him in order to be rewarded with the ability to perceive and live according to his order and live in that blessed life that he's talking about here. This glimpse, this foretaste of of the glory that's to come. To know Jesus is to know that order. To know Jesus is to find wisdom and life. To have and to hold on to Jesus is to be in this blessed state. That, that good life as God intended for it. This foretaste of walking these things out right now, knowing that one day you and I will reach out with our hand to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Brothers and sisters, get wisdom. Get understanding. Hold fast to it. That is how we are blessed.